Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 37 and it was recorded on Thursday, March 19th, 2020. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our fourth episode of 2020. We were joined by Tricia King, who was most recently Vice President Global Engagement for Case Europe, Brian Bowman, Director, Alumni and Development at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, Joanne Liu, Associate Director of Principal Gifts at the University of Alberta, and Gina Wheatcroft. Senior Associate at Vitreo Group. Our topic, higher education advancement in the time of COVID-19. The WHO declared COVID-19 a global pandemic on March 11th. Since then, we have seen countries across the world close their borders. All large-scale events have been canceled. Millions of school children and university students are at home and major world cities are on lockdown. These are extraordinary times for us, for our institutions, and even for this podcast. COVID-19 has had and will continue to have wide-ranging impacts on our world. Our institutions of higher learning have not been spared. Join us and listen to one of the most important podcasts we have ever recorded. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome to Episode 37 of Brain Trust Philanthropy, Powered by Betrayal. This is our fourth episode of 2020. Our topic, Higher Education Advancement in the Time of COVID-19 coronavirus. Our original topic was to be trends in higher education advancement, but these are extraordinary times. And given that coronavirus is on everybody's minds, we decided to change the topic earlier this week. We have four amazing and experienced advancement leaders with us. I'm excited that they're here. They're excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us in the United Kingdom from London, a city that by this weekend will be in lockdown, we have Tricia King. Trisha is the founder of TKCC Consulting and Coaching. Her consultancy helps universities flourish in turbulent and changing times. I can't imagine when that might be. Prior to founding TKCC, Trisha spent three years as Vice President Global Engagement at the Council for Advancement and Support of Education, CASE. And before that, 11 years at the University of London, where she served as Pro Vice Master for Strategic Engagement. Trisha has been on a podcast or two before this, but this is her first visit to ours. Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, Trisha. Thank you. Thank you, Vincent. Lovely to be here. I was introduced to Trisha by Gina Wheatcroft, who is also joining us today. Gina first met Trisha when Gina was at the University of Queensland in Australia. Trisha, we're going to hear much more about your thoughts about today's topic in a few minutes. But before that, during one of our email exchanges yesterday, you let me know that you could not join me to chat because you were on granny duty. I can guess what that means, but can you share a bit about what <laughs> granny duty means? Yes, I don't know how, how global the word granny is, but six months ago, I became a grandmother. My, my eldest daughter had my first grandchild, and this beautiful baby, Jack, bounced into my life, and it has transformed my world, and I, I, I set up my business in order to be able to spend more time with him. Last night, I was putting him to bed. <laughs> it was lovely. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love his name, by the way. That's the name of my firstborn son, Jack. 
So Good night. thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm glad that your your face lights up when you when you talk about many duties. So that's it great. does. It does. Yeah. Next, joining us from Edmonton, we have Joanne Liu. Joanne is the Associate Director of Principal Gifts at the University of Florida. This is Joanne's first time as a guest on a podcast. So welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you. Excited to be here. Joanne and I have worked together on projects for the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. Joanne is the Chair of Professional Development for the Edmonton Area Chapter of AFP. I regularly facilitate the CFRE Refresher Course in Edmonton, and in that role, Joanne is my boss. Joanne, I know you, like much of the world and certainly all of us, are working from home. I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners what that's been like for you. Yeah, it's been um, quite a change because I don't typically ever work from home. And starting this week, our whole team has kind of transitioned into working from home. And while it's really nice to kind of roll out of bed and not have to get ready in the morning, we have experienced some new challenges with not actually being in the room together. Um, so it's been a fun week so far. Right. Now, the question is, um, uh, are we all wearing pants? <laughs> I am. That means something very different in the UK. Pants in the UK means underwear. You've got to be careful here, Vincent. <laughs> well, we won't, we, won't, we won't talk about fanny packs then. Um, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Joanne. Also joining us from Edmonton, even though she lives and works in both Edmonton and Calgary, is Gina Wheatcroft. Gina is an associate with the Trail, and she's also our regional director in Northern Alberta. Gina has been on a podcast before, but this is her first time, her first visit to Brain Trust Philanthropy. So welcome to the podcast, Gina. Thank you, Vincent. Gina and I have been colleagues and friends for more than 20 years. We first met when we worked at the University of Alberta during its first university-wide capital campaign. Gina was in alumni relations and I was the director of development for the Faculty of Engineering. Gina joined Betrayo just over a year ago and we're so happy she did. Gina, we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts on today's topic, but just before we do that, you are the mother of two amazing young women, women, one attending the Alberta Ballet School and the other taking classes at Mount Royal University. Like the rest of our country and much of the world, all classes have been canceled. What has this meant for you and your daughters? A big change, uh, especially because they live in Calgary full-time, attending their uh, classes. So uh, they uh, came home Monday morning upon learning that uh, schools were closed, and, uh, and that has been an adjustment um, anyway, without the uh, virus situation. <laughs> so we are rebonding and uh, learning to give each other space. <laughs> oh, is that right? Are they missing school? Do they miss they are. Uh, well, Lucianne, who is in ballet school, um, this will be interesting how they're going to try to transition to online. So she's been doing initiating her own online ballet training um, through her phone. So it's going to be a little bit more yeah. challenging. Right. Is she going to get coaching from online and in, in ballet? Uh, we don't know yet. So we'll know on the 30th oh. of March. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you don't think about that, but that's definitely also a really a big change with just trying to physically coach or teach someone online. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. Finally, last but not least, joining us from near Calgary, we have Brian Bowman. Brian is the Director of Alumni and Development at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, SAIT. Brian serves as the Chair of Director of District 8. 
professional in higher education and independent schools in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia, Washington State, Oregon, Montana, and Idaho. This is Brian's third visit to our show. Brian has been on our very first podcast in 2015. Brian also joined us on episode 20, where we talked about laughing career tracks, what I would like to mean fundraising if I could go back in time. So welcome back, Brian. Great to be here, Vincent. Brian and I have been friends and colleagues for more than 15 years. Uh, we have worked together on projects for SAIT, for CASE, and for AFP. We're focusing today's talk on the impacts of COVID-19, specifically on higher education. But before we talk about that, Brian, you're also involved in a choral organization with over 250 members. I know we did a pre-show talk yesterday about COVID-19 and its impacts on everything, and, and you mentioned that uh, there's been quite a few impacts on the choral organization that you're working on. I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. I know we're going to talk a lot about education, but there are other impacts. Tell us a little about that. Well, interesting that a week ago today, uh, we basically had to make a decision about you know, would the the choirs be able to continue through this? And I mean, I obviously social distancing is the enemy of any choral organization uh, because we are inherently uh, social organizations. But uh, we're we're taking it in stride. We've had to essentially cancel the balance of our season. We had to cancel our year end show. I mean, gatherings of more than fifty people are uh, not permissible. But we're getting a little creative and. Um, we're putting a spin on the idea of social distancing, and we're actually going to do some online stuff. Uh, one uh, one thing that we're going to do actually is called social distancing, uh, which is going to take <laughs> oh. us in a whole another direction. So we're Very looking good. forward to playing with that. Yeah. So hey, we gotta gotta roll with the punches, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Does Does that mean people will will come online and 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 uh, and sing together? So there's some really cool tools, including Facebook Live, and we actually have the opportunity to put up, like, you know, you've seen these, um, you know, things like the Sound of Music sing-alongs and Handel's Messiah sing-alongs. So we're actually going to do some of that online stuff, and we're all going to go to, uh, you know, uh, we're going to choose a, an appropriate musical. We're going to sit down and set it up as if we were all in the room together, and we're going to watch, I don't know, uh, let's say Sweeney Todd or something that we can all sing along to, Sound of Music even. Wow, that would be fun. I, uh, I, so, well, that's a great way to keep your, your, your choir uh, engaged and, uh, and not going stir crazy because I imagine the social and singing aspects are important. So thank you for that. And, you know, the, the outpouring of support, you know, at SATE and certainly within the choral organization, you see that need for human connection. Uh, and how it is that you take that away and people are looking for ways to fill the void. So uh, I think, you know, it's a great opportunity for us as well as obviously a challenge. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this our free dad podcast. Our show topic, Higher Education Advancement in the Time of COVID-19, Coronavirus. The WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic forecast on Thursday, March 19th. In the ensuing eight days, we have seen nations in Europe and in North America close their borders. All large-scale events have been canceled. Millions of school children and university students are finishing their school year at home. And major world cities are or are about to be on lockdown. 
As of this writing, there have been 228,687 coronavirus cases with over 9,300 deaths. When I sent my preparation notes to our guests on Monday, there were uh, just over 198,000 cases and just under 8,000 deaths. Here's a quote from a March 7th article by Axios. The year is less than three months old, but we have every reason to believe that COVID-19 will be one of the most significant events of the decade, if not beyond. These are truly extraordinary times for the world, for our institutions, for us, and even for this podcast. This is the first time in 37 episodes where we have changed to the topic to reflect current world events, and I'm glad we did. Today, our topic focuses on higher education advancement. For those unfamiliar with the term advancement, advancement is an umbrella term most often used in education to refer to the areas of fundraising, alumni engagement, marketing, and communication, to name a few. Trisha. We're going to start our conversation today with you. Clearly, COVID-19 has had and is continuing to have a profound impact in our world. Our universities, our colleges, our technical institutions, and our independent schools have not been spared from these impacts. What, in your view, has the shuttering of our institutions meant for students, for our faculty members, and for society at large? It's a big question, uh, and I think I want to start by saying that I think the purpose of the university is, is profound and important at a time of change, the sort of, the sort of which we're living through right now. Uh, I spent a month in Australia. I got back on Saturday. Uh, I'm now sort of deeply connected back into the UK sector. The thing I noticed uh, is that our staff and our communities are working incredibly hard to ensure that our students are not disadvantaged. Uh, most universities in Australia have shut down. Most universities in the UK have shut down. But they have put their courses up online. So in Australia, I was at the University of Sydney uh, last week, and they said they had put 2,000 courses online in less than two weeks. Now, at a moment of crisis, people can do those things, which they've been trying to do for years. But that point at which they have to, <laughs> they found the resources to do it. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes of our sector, that our staff are really committed to our students. Uh, and I know, you know, this, this, w nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what this means. But I think what we all know is that the role of a university is pivotal in society. And it's one of the vehicles of change and vehicles of transformation. So whatever this means for us, I believe our institutions will be in the vanguard of, of that sort of reflection and ambition about futures. So I, I, I see remarkable people working incredibly hard to make sure that students aren't disadvantaged. But so much uncertainty, my city is likely to shut down this afternoon. Um, we don't know what it means. We don't know. And I think anybody who's telling you that they know what the world will look like in a month or two months or six months time uh, uh, is probably naive. What I do know uh, is certainly in my country, universities have been at the heart of change and transition for centuries, not just decades. Uh, it's a resilient society. It's a resilient sector. Uh, all power to its elbow. I, 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 I hope and I believe that the sector will respond. Uh, it's rapidly responding right now, and I'm incredibly impressed. I, I, I don't underestimate the challenges that our sector is facing right now. Thanks, Tricia. Who wants to who wants to weigh in after that? That was a fantastic opening statement. Thank you. Um, I, I am struck by the online course development that has been for years for years, kind of moving along at a snail's pace for whatever reasons, whatever inertia was working against that. 
suddenly lit on fire. Brian, I know you talk about that as mm-hmm. fate. Yeah, well, I mean, moving online, of course, you know, with an applied technical education is a, a slightly different thing. Um, the beauty of technology today is the uh, speed at which we can do that because we do offer, you know, in numerous ways, hybrid courses where, you know, portions of it have been delivered online for quite some time. Um, but if you're in a lab, for example, for residential plumbing and you're trying to learn how to you know, put things together, uh, very difficult to do that without being in a space where, you know, you can actually, uh, use your hands and, and get in there. Um, but that said, I mean, I think Tricia made some really valid points about, you know, our commitment to students. And, and you know, when we began this whole exercise of shifting curriculum online and thinking about what our response would be and, and those kinds of things, all of which have come up on us just so rapidly. You know, the number one thing that we said was we will uh, do everything in our power to ensure students succeed. Um, and that success is measured by completion. So do they finish their first year? Do they have the resources and tools needed to graduate if they're, you know, approaching graduation? And that notion of, you know, providing uh, the resources to ensure that they're not disadvantaged um is is a massive undertaking and to you know to echo Trisha's point I'm proud of the sector proud of our organization for the speed uh, and commitment to seeing that actually uh, come into into play today's our first day in fact of being online um so you know that 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 moment in time at which you pull the switch and all students shift over into online curriculum I mean, it could be disastrous or it could go smoothly. And thus far, thankfully, and knock on wood, uh, it's all gone very well. And we'll, we'll see. This is going to be momentous and we'll evaluate, I'm sure. Uh, I also don't think, um, that this is just a moment in time. I think that the, the transformation that this, uh, imposes on us, whether we wanted it, welcomed it or whatnot, this will change the way that education is delivered um, well after this this, this uh, epidemic, this pandemic is uh, is over, in my view. That's great. Gina, you wanted to, to step in? Go ahead, please. Yeah, related to the uh, speed in which online courses have been uh, put onto the uh, systems of universities and colleges, um, from the perspective of alumni relations, this has been an interesting um this has been interesting for alumni relations offices in the sense that they have had to really fast track ideas that they've already been working on and thinking about in terms of digital programming and um i've spoken to a few colleagues from a couple of uh universities and uh and what's interesting there is maybe um the challenge of uh the current staff uh, lacking in the skill set in terms of looking at digital and, and having those digital programming strengths, uh, for example. And uh, some of these universities in, in, in Canada, well, even in Australia, these big research-intensive universities, over 50% of their alumni populations are alumni who are 10 years and younger. So, I mean, this is a direction that many of alumni relations offices were already looking at, um, but they're now fast-tracking this. And um, and I talked to one colleague who said uh, they were in a rush to get licensing for webinar platforms. <laughs> right. 
uh, all those things you've been waiting to put to, to put off. Like, uh, how do you use Zoom? What is a Google Hangout? Uh, how do we? You know, the digital divide is narrowing. Brian, you had your hand up. I was on a call yesterday, Vincent, with uh, colleagues across North America as part of a case uh, dialogue. And just, uh, you know, to Gina's points and some of the conversations that were occurring across that um, spectrum uh, echo that notion of seizing the moment to move alumni relations programming off of the event-based, you know, physical presence that we tend to gravitate towards uh, and really seizing the moment to move online uh, and to utilize digital technology to, you know, do town halls. Um, and actually, if you think about it, I mean, all of this has happened in the course of essentially seven days at this point. Um, this is quite amazing that in that short amount of time, given the opportunity, uh, all of these organizations, you know, just jumping on to the digital bandwagon. So uh, interesting to see that mo- that movement. Can I add to that, Brian? Because I, I, one of the things that fascinated me in the last week is that the resistance to putting degree programs online has been to do with intellectual capital. You know, I don't want to share my intellectual capital in that right. sort of environment. And I've watched those right. people right. who I know have resisted it suddenly are saying, all right, teach me, teach me panopto, teach me how to do this, because they get it. Uh, what, you know, the experience of having been around this sector for such a long time is that crisis always creates opportunity. Uh, and things that you couldn't get done, you know, for maybe four or five years, suddenly get done in a matter of weeks. So this is an extraordinary moment where people are saying, all right, I've resisted it for years, but I'm up for it now. Because if we don't do this, our students will suffer. It's nobody's fault. We've got to get on with it. And, mm-hmm. and I've watched some people on Twitter and on various social media saying, Okay, so, so how do I do this? <laughs> Help me. I don't know how to do this technology. But they're trying. Uh, people I would never in a million years thought would actually yeah. do this are doing it. Uh, never waste a good crisis. Absolutely. Never waste a good crisis. Wan, you've been saying uh, very nice in the background. I'm sorry, you're, you're cutting out. I, I don't know. I can't hear you at the moment. You're kind of coming back. Okay. Now you're sorry. You're that. totally frozen right now. Oh. Oh well. Can you hear me? I think you're back for now. <laughs> okay. Is that you, Joanne? That's speaking? Because you're frozen too. Yes. Great. Oh, okay. Um, yes, that's me. Yeah. Great. Um. One of the things that's talked about, and I, I would like to circle back at some point during this conversation, is the role in solving intractable problems, the importance in transformation that is held in the high-end sector. And I know that that applies across the sector, but Joanne, is there some of that conversation going on at the University of Alberta or with some of your colleagues? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we're talking a lot about how um, you know, everything that's happening is going, is going to impact fundraising, you know, in, at the principal gift level at the U of A and, you know, also trying to think about, you know, what sort of funding vehicles can we create to receive potentially very new, um, transformative donations for COVID research and what does that look like? Um, I know at the U of A right now we're doing kind of daily calls to talk about ideas and different ways to manage the situation. So it's been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I'd like to uh, thank you, Joanne. I'd like to hear more about, you know, what exactly is the role of the of, of higher ed in this time? Obviously, research, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, um, education. Um, but but what else? Or 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 are those enough? Um, okay. I think there are. Oh, are you talking to me or Joanne? Sorry. Because I think those are. No, no I, I think every university everywhere in the world does those things, but they do them brilliantly. Because education, we are creating society of the future. We are building leaders of the future. We are helping every student, no matter where they came from, achieve their potential. In our research activities, we are solving all world problems. Anything that's a problem in the world is being researched in our universities. I can't think of another sector I'd rather work with because everything that we do is about changing our world. So you say, people can blindly say we do teaching and research. You know, we do life world transformation in those two spaces. And I'm sorry, Joanne, I think that question was meant for you, but it's such a passion piece <laughs> for me that I'm going to pull back and let you speak. No, that's no, great. No, what no, what I, she yeah, said, I, I agree entirely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was directing that to the group, Tricia. So thank you for stepping in. Um, Brian? Uh, you know, I, I agree with that. I think this is a moment in time, though, uh, and in terms of like shifting and pivoting to to where it is that our mission aligns to the the time that we find ourselves, we have to be very careful about uh, you know just carrying on because we know our institutions are valuable and that we are critical to what will come next and and in solving this this crisis. But I think there's a real value in a, in taking stock of where are we at as a uh, a sector for sure. Um, but also that we're part of this global world that is dealing with an unprecedented event. What's the, the, the appropriate response from the sector, our unique organizations? It's not about me versus you versus the next door university or college or whatever. It's about us. And how do we come together, uh, you know, in all of the respective disciplines, in all of the respective areas, both as people, uh, and as professionals and as a community to deal with the more immediate issues that have arisen as a result of this. How do we get people back to work? How do we help people who have lost jobs? How do we retool respiratory therapists who are going to be on demand in hospitals, uh, you know, to, to do what they need to do? So I, I think, you know, there's a level at which we talk about the transformation because we know that universities provide that level of, of uh, you know, thinking, discipline, research, and so on, and that will be critical. Um, and I also want to balance that with the idea of here and now, what we need most is a global response and being very considerate of what people are going through, what, what we are facing uh, as a global society. Brian, thank you for that. I'm going to ask a question to the group because uh, I have, may have missed it. But have we seen a public stance, a public response, something from a podium, something in, in, a, in a large narrative piece from the sector about any of that? I think it's too soon. I think it's too soon. I mean, I think... Too soon. Uh, yeah, oh, I think a week ago, uh, when I was in Australia, people were concerned about um, Chinese students not turning up and the impact that was going to have on their bottom line. You know, huge, big issue for them. They were trying to work out how to make savings because it was the beginning of the academic year and many Chinese students hadn't turned up. Within a week, uh, there were cases of COVID-19 on campus. 
they were trying to get all these courses online. I mean, I think at the moment, institutions are looking in to try and get sorted. I think we need to give them breathing space because I think there will come thought pieces. I mean, I, I listened to a programme on the BBC last night about what we've learned from COVID-19. And I was struck that actually we've learned nothing yet because it hasn't really, you know, it hasn't unfolded. We don't know what it means. Uh, that universities will be well placed to comment on it. I'm absolutely clear they will be. But to expect them to have, I mean, you think about what's happened in Australia. When I arrived, they had still, they'd only just finished the bushfires. Uh, and so they, they were reeling from how does the society get over that, that extraordinary environmental damage at the bushfires. And 10 seconds later, they were dealing with the coronavirus. And these things are mm-hmm. challenging the very existence of those institutions. So do I think they are capable of that response? Yes. I mean, the, the, the guy who runs Australian National University, Brian Schwartz, who's a really big, you know, a philosophical thinker, did a state of the university address in which he positioned universities as, um, institutions that needed to challenge government on the matters of the day. And that was before they'd really got into the COVID-19 piece. So he was already talking about the role of ANU uh, in, in the environmental piece that would solve the bushfire solution. So he was tackling that issue. And then, you know, hot on its heels came another issue. So I think the sector feels embattled, that they are capable of coming up with the right response. I'm sure they will. That they haven't done it yet, I, I don't hold them accountable. I know they've been incredibly busy. No, and I wasn't either. I was asking the question um, whether or not we'd seen that and whether or not we could expect that. Of course, I think we're thinking that they would. Um, I'm happy to continue this track. Um, I, I'm sticking another pin as a topic line in the, on, on, on the virtual wall. Um, what about these uh, in, in North America, we call it the grade 12 students. I don't know what they call it, fourth form or something. I don't know if the, the equivalent is in the UK. The people that are going from, uh, uh, from, from high school or elementary school or middle school to university, that a lot of them are quite anxious right now about that, whether they're in their, and so I'm curious what, uh, what, what your thoughts or ideas are around that. You mentioned something to me yesterday, Tricia, about how um, you know, there's so many students that are, you know, they, that uncertainty of what the fall looks like. It's a, it's that well, yesterday, a big change for universities too. Yeah, a really big change was announced yesterday. Schools were closed. The announcement was yesterday. Schools will close in the UK on Friday of this week. Uh, and I think the most surprising thing they said was that it was possible that schools would not go back until September. Uh, and they said they have cancelled all national exams. So those exams, they call them sixth formers here. That that would be uh, the, the, the ones that they are taking that they thought they were going to be taking that would have been the qualifications that got them into university. They have all been cancelled just like that overnight, no warning. Uh, and I think the universities are responding to that. And I've seen a number of messages go out to those students today. The students are reeling because they were preparing for exams that aren't now going to happen. So their grades will be, um, well, no one's quite clear how they will be determined, but it will be something to do with teacher assessment and previous achievement. Uh, so I think, you know, it's one of the elements of this uh, extraordinary crisis that we face, that, you know, the country's facing a crisis, but are some very specific pieces for universities in the UK. Uh, one of the things that a commentator said today is there will be far fewer international students in the UK uh, by September, October. So therefore, British students shouldn't worry because there will be more places available to them. But how, how the sector responds to something like that? It was announced last night 
You know, so until last yeah. night, nobody knew that was going to happen. So it, it's really hard, I think, for people to get their heads around so, their response. But yeah. I have seen some responses today. Thank you. Gina, you put your hand up, and Brian, you did too. Um, and for our listening audiences, because I can see them and you can't. Um, uh, I do want to continue on this track, but I also want to come back to this idea about what it means for the institution on the entry side. So this is, we're looking at this from the student perspective in this current track of thought, but on the entry side, how, what's the, are there worries or concerns? Like somehow we've got a whole group of students who may or may not be prepared for university because they may or may not have finished mm -hmm. the courses that we're going to prepare them for. And then the other thing that's super interesting that some people are talking about related to your international student. That is a trend that people are talking about. That they are saying at the end of this process, at whatever that end is, that the numbers of international students accepted into country universities is going to be lower. And that has been something a lot of our institutions have been baking in on the financial front for a long time. We, 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 we depend on that, uh, 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 tuition piece. So, What's there? Gina, go ahead. Well, just in response to what you just said, Vince, um, I read a I read a, 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 a cost associated with what Australia is um, dealing with, and this is just the other day, $8 billion was calculated in terms of costs associated in the short term, uh, just with tuition refunds, accommodation refunds, and just reorganization uh, of the teaching calendars. So that's a huge impact just in the short term. And then just going back a little bit to what uh, was being discussed about um, the impact on these grade 12 students or students who are graduating, leaving high school to go to universities. Um, this is going to impact where they're going. So, um, you know, and th these are kids who are coming from families of middle and working class families. You know, a lot of these folks, were, they're losing their jobs. So their kids who were maybe initially thinking of, you know, going, you know, to another city, just even three hours away to go to school, this is going to have a, tr a tremendous impact on what they're going to decide to do. And they're going to be forced to or decide to um, live at home and go to their local college or their local university. So this will be very interesting to see what develops, especially in America, uh, where it is more um, the norm to move away and, and, and go away to school. Gina, Brian, you had your hand up. Yeah, you know, I, I think the tendency that we all have is to put where we are at in the context of where have we been and how we've done things before. And, of course, we've placed great reliance on recruitment, uh, in terms of solving some of the, the budget constraints that Alberta just recently has imposed on post-secondary institutions. Uh, I know our organization who is facing, you know, five, six percent reductions and across the, the province, we've all been struggling with that. And immediately the solution that we've jumped to is increase the number of international students. Um, right. you know, you, I, I saw an article about Red Deer who has some significant budget restriction, uh, restrictions. And the solution was, uh, we will add 500 additional international students. Um, and that's our go-to. Well, you know what? This is a complete reset. Grade 12 students who are thinking of going to post-secondary may or may not go. International students who are thinking of going to a post-secondary institution in another country are going to rethink that and it may or may not happen. 
our curriculum may or may not return to the classroom and we will have all kinds of new opportunities. Financially, the economics of post-secondary education are going to shift and change. So I guess my point is we want to make sense of this and want to be able to anticipate where will this go, but I really think this is a massive, on a big scale, reset, not just a post-secondary, the workforce, the 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 fabric of our societies as a result of this and i don't want to be alarmist but i think we have to be realistic about you know is this an is this just a you know moment in time and an aberration and things will return to normal or is it really a a, a, a this is going to in my view in history come down to being a, a a moment in time at which everything changed so i think our response to that uh, we can't anticipate. I don't think we can anticipate, um, but I think we can appreciate that given our organization's resilience that Tricia responded to um, and and the importance of our organizations to um, our communities, to society, that it is on that that we will move forward. So finding our purpose and like solving the problems that our countries and our, our provinces and our cities will face and we'll be right at the center of that. I don't know what that will look like at this point in time. I don't think anybody does. No, I agree. Joanne, you've been again, um, I know, listening and thinking. Anything you wanted to add to what we've been talking about? You know, from the perspective of international students, from the perspective of grade 12 students being anxious, uh, from the perspective of we keep looking backward instead of forward? Yeah, um, I think I really agree with everything that's being said. I think it's a very scary and uncertain time for everyone. And I totally feel for all of the, the students. Um, and yeah, I think uh, it's been a very smooth transition and very impressive to see how quickly, you know, the universities and schools have been able to get everything online. And I do think there's still a lot of work ahead. Um, and, and, you know, other issues that we need to work through and very interesting to see how long, um, you know, this will continue and when we'll kind of be out of the, um, this uncertain time. So yeah, I, I agree with all the comments that are being shared. Well, thank you, Joanne. I, I, do, I am happy to continue on any threads the group wants to follow on, but one of the elephants that we haven't talked about, and I'm glad we didn't focus on it actually, but it's time to at least bring it up a bit. Um, fundraising. Working with donors, relationships, philanthropy, uh, it's all the same, right? It's all good? Situation normal? Just cruise ahead? It's all good? I mean, so, Joanne, I mean, I know you've been, you work in that space. Uh, we all work in that space. We've all worked in that space. What, what's happening in your world around this? And you don't have to have answers. Yeah. It might be we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think we're still trying to figure that out. Um, so I know, Vincent, you and I were talking yesterday, and it's been such a crazy week for us. I know my team is trying to get out a lot of really big proposals and things that we had been talking with donors about, you know, uh, starting last month or weeks ago, and, and conversations have progressed, but not anticipating this is kind of what was going to be happening in the world. So now that this has come to a head and we've already kind of committed to getting you know, back to donors with concepts and moving forward on these really, really big um, projects, we're trying to figure out, well, how do we do that? Um, because it's not business as usual. How do we continue and move forward, um, but also be very sensitive and aware of, you know, everything that's going on? So I don't know that we have the answer. And um, we've been working around the clock trying to figure out um, what messages to send 
to um, donors and foundations that we're working with and actively in conversations with um, while keeping in mind, you know, things are a mess for them to how do we make sure that we're checking in on, on them and not only worried about moving our project forward, but also mm-hmm. we don't want mm-hmm. to leave them waiting and wondering, you know, if we're, you know, continuing things and keeping the momentum. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a work in progress. So, can I respond sure. to that, Vincent? Because Thank I, you, think, I think, yeah, please. Joanne, when you say, you know, we don't have the answer yet, I think if you did have the answer, it would be the wrong answer because it's far too soon. You know, we, we are in the middle of something that is really big and it's unfolding and we don't know where it's going to end and we don't know what it means. So if you were to say, I've, I've cracked it, I know the answer, what we've got to do is this, this and this, it, it would be the wrong answer because you just don't know. I mean, my, my experience is that, is that times of crisis, uh, we as advancement professionals, whether that's the fundraising piece, the alumni relations piece, or in my background, the marketing and the comms staff within the university, we have an absolutely critical role to play. Because sometimes we can help hold the space. You know, what, what is the story of our institution? What's the narrative? Because I think when, when, when people are in crisis, they get, um, distracted and it is, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who we are. You know, we know what our institution stands for. We know what we think we want to be doing in the future. So I think that space where, that we can be very influential in, because I, I think crisis often creates an opportunity for our professional community to step into the space to help tell the story to help to help create the narrative so whether you're sharing that with your donors or your alumni community or who else you know the city the country the corporates in your world you know whoever it's you're trying to share it with the profound dna of your institution doesn't change you know who you are you know what you stand for what's changing is the reality that you're facing and taking all of those important connections with you, having open conversations that says, we don't know the answer. Uh, you know, we, we are, can we share with you what's happening? Can we take your advice on what's happening? Can we work on this piece together? I think it's often an opportunity to really invite people into your world um, and have them as, as co-collaborators, people who will help you think through how, how you navigate this space. Because I think having the answer right now, I, I, think, I just think it's too soon. Mm-hmm, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I Brian agree or Gina? You. Gina, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just say I agree with you, Trish. Um, as part of my role, you know, I'm and I'm advising and and talking with various nonprofits, um, uh, fundraising colleagues, representing different uh, sectors, and I'm combing and combing through articles and information that that's being made available online, and there is no there's no answers out there yet. And but one of the common themes that I have seen throughout many, many articles is just this idea of, um, you know, being sensitive to where our prospects, our donors may be at, at this time and, um, and check in with them. You know, it just go, it goes back to our basics of relationship building and no different than what we're doing in our personal lives and checking in with our friends and our family and those maybe we haven't talked to in a long time. Um, checking in with our donors and, and, and picking up that phone even and, and sending a quick email just to ask how they're doing. Great. Yeah. Brian and then Joanne. Yeah, I think all of those comments are valid, but you know, I think there's an immediate need and, and role for fundraising in the moment. And then, you know, there's midterm, there's long term, and I don't think we know what those mid long term things are. Uh, but just today, uh, you know, the director of our international, uh, student effort 
um, had sent out a survey to some 300 international students, and predominantly the theme is, I'm an international student, I was attending SATE, I have lost my part-time job, and I think my education is in jeopardy. Uh, so what role does uh, my fund development shop have with respect to providing immediate emergency support to students who have lost part-time um, employment um, that may be facing rent at the end of the month? And how are we going to solve that? At the same time, as recognizing that um, oil is $8 a barrel and our our principal donors, uh, you know, what was our priority project a week ago um, sort of takes on a whole new uh, light, you know, seven days later when you're evaluating, you know, the state of, of crisis that exists across you know, such a, a wide swath of, of industry and uh, society. So, you know, there, there's things that I think we can re- respond to in the immediate um, future and that there are people who will step up and we should continue that. And yes, our organizations need a presence um, and that we should be doing care calls and ensuring our donors are with us and that they know that we're in the midst of this and, and that we'll do this together. Um and and my lesson from you know years ago in this well not nearly this severe but certainly in 2008 um, with the you know global economic uh, recession that um, you know maintaining that that conversation and recognizing that this might not be the time for you to make a, you know a, a gift or to support us but when the time is right we're going to need you your your support mm-hmm. will be um, incredibly important as we come out of this. I guess those would be my points. Thank you, Brian. Joanne, you had your hand up, and I'm glad to see that. What's up? Yeah. Um, on that note, too, I think those are really great points that Brian is raising, and I think that, you know, there can be a lot of opportunity that comes out from, you know, us all going through what we're going through together, and I think really having people understand the importance of philanthropy and coming together to really support the community in a big way. Um, so I think despite all, you know, the uncertainty and the negativity that's coming with what we're dealing with, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, I think there will be negative impacts to fundraising, you know, potentially immediately, but in the long term, I'm really curious, and I don't know if you guys have any thoughts um, as to how it will um, have some long-term effects. Like, would people, with everything that's going on, you know, do some more thinking about getting everything in order for themselves? Like, in terms of planned gifts, will they will they be more thoughtful in terms of like um, how they want to uh, give back? I guess and have that more top of mind because we're really dealing with life or death right now. So, I don't know if the group has any thoughts on that actually. Anybody want to weigh in on that? But those are those are really important questions, Joanne. Thank you for raising them. Um, we don't have to have the answers any more than we expect our institutions to have the answers. While you're thinking, I'll um, I'll share something that happened or an article. There's lots of stuff out there. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's in between. But a really excellent piece came out from the Chronicle of Philanthropy in the last couple of days um, around what happened post 9/11. Now it's not comparable. But it it was a global activity that caused people to go, I need to concentrate on this. And and so the question that was raised at that time or, or, or floated or pushed was we need to pause fundraising. I mean, we, personal security is at risk here. Our global, 
uh, presence, our, our individual freedoms are at risk. And, so, and if you, in hindsight, when researchers looked at this, uh, and it's in that article, is that, 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 that people paused allowing others to help philanthropically for too long after 9-11. And it, it hurt uh, the activities that needed to be done. It hurt the organizations. And so it's, it's a good learning from the fact that sometimes we can, as you said, Brian, maybe wait too long. So your hands up. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I, I mean, on the call that I had with colleagues across uh, North America yesterday, uh, you know, one individual reported that there was, a, I think, in the Midwest, a university that was, that was sending their SDU, their, their senior development officers out to do face-to-face calls. That they were continuing fundraising yeah. activity in the yeah. midst of uh, of a pandemic. It, it, so That's you know you swing down. the pendulum. So you swing the pendulum in one direction too far, and and appreciate that you must continue the activity that is your job and that your institutions rely upon. But on the other side of the equation is, I mean, we're human, and we have to be appropriate. And the brand of our organizations that have taken us so long to establish and whatnot could easily evaporate in you know just the the wrong time the wrong place so responsiveness um is certainly important and continuing and making assumptions that nobody's going to give right now might not be the right thing but mm-hmm. you know step back from this um and oh, yeah. take take a breath in this moment uh, and, and and build 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 the um strategy and again i come back to that notion of is it individual institutions that are working on this for their specific needs or and maybe it's not or but and um, what about the sector what about the role of post-secondary education as a sector in the response that that's going to emerge from this it will not be business as usual and every attempt that we make to try to funnel this back into i want this to be the way it used to be and do the activities that i used to do and fundraise the way we're supposed to and we've been taught to do to some extent i think get thrown out the window and we come back at it with fresh eyes uh and 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 appropriateness in the context in which we find ourselves I agree with that. I can, can I, agree. There's something that strikes me. Go ahead. Um, is that well, I think I think there are, there are two. To me, there are two elements to this. One is the the role of the experts right here, right now in this space. So our universities all over the world have expertise uh, in this space. So when I was in Australia, and I noticed the same thing has happened here in the UK, where universities are doing research about uh, University of Exeter today was talking about COVID testing. You know, they actually can they can develop tests that will be able to done at mass scale and quickly. So funding for that is urgent and it's now. Uh, I noticed in Australia, the Jack Ma Foundation in, in China was saying, we can't find, we can't come up with a vaccine in China. We've got money. You know, Bill Gates is saying, we've got money. Who can do this? Who can produce the vaccine fast? So that is right here, right now, because we have the right expertise. And there may be other elements as this thing unfolds, where the expertise that we have right here, right now, is coming up with the solutions that we need right now. And therefore, the ask is right now. And there's no tone deafness. There's, there's absolutely, it's spot on. But where it's a wider piece, I think, you know, my experience of these crises is that we have to hold the space and look beyond 
the immediate crisis, which is we will still be here, hopefully, in 10 and 15 and 20 years. And it's about maintaining those relationships in the medium and long term and not just about now. So that, that nuanced conversations with your donors and your prospects and your alumni about what's happening to the institution that allows you to take the temperature so that you know when the moment is right. You know, you are talking to those people mm-hmm. and there's a point at which you feel the new conversation has started, you know, the, the new way of thinking. And I, and I agree with something Brian said earlier. It's like that sense that COVID is going to, COVID-19 is going to feel like a pivotal moment. It will be historically, it will be before the COVID-19 and after the BC and AC in different ways mm-hmm. is that I think the world will start to be defined differently. I know, so mm-hmm. I heard somebody yeah. say that last night. But but it is, I think, if we keep people with us on that journey, there will be an opportunity to make the ask at the right time for the right thing. But we don't know what that is yet. So I think taking the temperature of those relationships throughout the journey and having the long-term view, so you're not just trying to backfill a shortfall that institutions are going to experience because of a lack of international recruitment or whatever, but it's about mm-hmm. strategic, important activities for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Great comment, Great. Trisha. I, um, I want to just give some space, speaking about giving some space, I want to give some space to us. We talked about, uh, we followed the threads that we would follow in the normal uh, conversation about this. Are there is there, is there something that we didn't talk about that we should have talked about? And we've got we've got a little bit of space, maybe five or five or six minutes to have that conversation. Um, we don't have to uh, do that if we feel like we've covered enough that our foggy brains at this stage can feel, deal with. Great. Um, but if we have one, then you add your hand up. Yeah, I think that you know, as much as we are in the advancement profession, we're also in our own organizations, communities, etc. We're leaders. I mean, we're here and what we do on a regular daily basis, bring people together to solve problems. And so people that are listening to the podcast, I mean, we don't know. I mean, in the time that you're going to produce this podcast and it's going to air seven days from today, you think about how much could possibly change. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that idea of demonstrating leadership where you are, uh, and, and stepping up to create opportunities for people to have the dialogues and conversations. Vincent applaud the trail for opportunities like this where, you know, we can come together with people who don't typically compare notes but share our thoughts. And whether you're in London or you're at Red Deer Lake, um, you know, we're facing some pretty monumental shifts and changes. And um, you know, that that notion of rising above even the profession of advancement, rising above the idea of fundraising and, uh, and uh, you know, all of the things that we talk about on a regular basis is this idea of, you know, leadership. And I just want to make that point that um, I think it's a, a good time for us with the skills that we have and the resources that we have access to and uh, the institutions that we're a part of that we're really um, an important group an important part of our societies that I think is going to be so important as we try to find our way through this. And then on the other side of it, how do we find our way um, to whatever it is that comes next? Can I build on that? Because I think, I think that sense of the role of our leadership is important. And I think there is something about taking care of our people right now, that when you look into our departments and our professional communities, people are working flat out. You know, there's, there's a panic, there's an anxiety, 
about all sorts of things, about health, about jobs, about income, about you know, all sorts of things. Uh, and my experience of this is that people, there's a point of burnout, there's a point at which people really struggle and fall over. And I think part of our role as leaders in this profession, and in any profession actually, is to pay attention to our people and make sure that they're all right. Because often, often people keep going and then they crash. ANU in Australia, they had had bushfires and then they had hailstones that took out 80% of their buildings and trashed all their cars. And then they had COVID-19. And I said to them, you know, you have to take care of yourself because you have lived a crisis road for nearly a year without a chance to breathe. Uh, and there will be a consequence of that. You, know, it will, you are human and, it, and you will, um, at some point, you will crash and burn. So I think there is, leadership just needs to hold that as a question, but just making sure that people are okay. Thank you for that, Tricia. That's fantastic. Gina, um, maybe uh, you, you, we will turn it over to you for some closing thoughts. Uh, you can talk about whatever you want or thread something through what you've heard. Well, I think it's more important than ever before um, that we need to um, connect with others. We need to touch base. We need to check in. As uh, Trish has said, you know, we have to be looking after ourselves and we have to be checking in on one another. And that means um, whether it's obviously your, your family and your close friends and your, and your circle, but in terms of our professions and um, the work that we do, we've got to t- step it up a level. It's, we really need to, uh, and be sincere about it, right? It's like, it's checking in with um, our planned giving donors who may be isolated in nursing homes or, you know, in their bungalows with just she and her husband and, and feeling isolated. So there's, there's a, there's a demographic here of people who are feeling very isolated and uh, we need to do our part to check in. Thanks, Gina. Joanne, what's uh what do you want our audience to hear um, from you as we close out this podcast? You can talk about anything um, you want. What's important to you? What's what's on your mind? It could be about your dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love my dogs. Um, spend time with your dogs. Do things that you love. I think the real um, important thing to focus on is really I think that everyone needs to take time to do things that make them feel good and to um, yeah, focus on self-care and being there for the people that you love, really echoing the same comments that Gina and Trisha just made as well. And I think it's very, very important. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Joanne. Trisha, uh, I didn't formally give you a platform when you weighed in with a very nice platform comment. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you want to leave something with our audience, you have that opportunity. I, I will. Um, I, I will. I will take that opportunity. Just because what struck me, building on what Joanne just said, which was that sense of uh, do the things that are important to you. Because I want to circle back to my grandson Jack uh, and my need to be optimistic that there's going to be a world in which he can grow up in. You know, right now he's this innocent, beautiful child who has no idea that he's lived through Brexit and is now living through the coronavirus. He's got no idea. He's just having his life. And I have to believe that the world is going to be a good world in which he can grow up. So I have to be optimistic. And I am by nature Pollyanna. I am optimistic. Uh, And I believe that our universities have an important role to play in building that future, whatever that future looks like. And I believe that our professional communities have a really important role in supporting those institutions to bring about the change in the world that we want to see so that my baby boy can be happy by the time he's an adult. That's great. And I think he will be. And so that's, I'm also optimistic. 
Brian, you get to close out the show. Um, you started the show in the pre-show with uh, with with uh, a humble brag about your own personal self-care. You had a, a, a spa or a bath or something like that, uh, uh, some kind of hot tub. Uh, it's very nice. It sounded in the country there. So um, with that, what is uh, what do you want to leave your audience? What do you want them to, to, to take away? Oh, look, we've got a puppy dog joining. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, thanks, Vincent. Well, the, the, that's a big job. To, in fact, I think Trisha really um, hit the nail on the head about that sense of optimism. Um, I tend to be an optimist, and I find and and try to strive to to push to find opportunity inside of adversity. Um, at the same time as being pragmatic and and appreciating, okay, what do I need to do to uh, help others get through this? How can I be, you know, a, an agent of change or, or, or how can I contribute to the direction that we want to go and what moves do I need to take? Um, and part of that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, reminded about the, the three areas of, of leadership. So lead self, lead team, and lead your organization. And I think, you know, that idea of self-care, if you don't take care of yourself and lead yourself, you are not going to be fit to lead your team, and as your team requires that kind of leadership, you can't lead your organization. So I would leave that idea of, you know, think about this in terms of what can I do and contribute in leading myself, uh, and then beyond that, moving to the other areas of leading team, and, and put those in priority. Um, be an agent of change and a positive force. Um, people are going to rely on us um, and on each other, and we need to be fit for the job. Well, thank you for that, Brian. It re- reminds me of one of our mentors. Some of you know him. Dr. Terry Flanagan uh, was one of my bosses at the U of A and has worked with a lot of us. He's he's retired in Kelowna now, and he used to uh, strictly enforce the rule of you take care of yourself first, your family second, your work third. Uh, it's a little bit like what you've just talked about, Brian, and uh, he was very clear about that if people got those mixed up. Um, we have been uh, encouraging our team and our colleagues when they are talking to our clients and to folks in this time to pause at the beginning of that conversation and to really check in with where people are instead of let's get to the business or let's what's the status of X or can we move this forward instead of you know, sitting back and just taking that time to be uh, with everyone and be mindful and be thoughtful. And and it's it's been very helpful to remind people of that. It's been very helpful to remind myself of that. And all of you have reminded me of that today. So I really appreciate the time and energy that we did. With that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Betrayal has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month for our fifth episode of 2020 when we will be visiting with Ken Mayhew, Chief Executive Officer at the William Osler Health Foundation, Judy Neeser, Chief Executive Officer at the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, and Jessica Veach, Manager of Donor Recognition at Sinai Health. Our topic, healthcare philanthropy in the age of coronavirus. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. 
You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.